Chapter Sixteen of Master of Life and Death by Robert Silverberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hervé showed up at ten o three, grinning broadly. He unfolded a thick wad of documents and thrust them at Walton. I hold in my hand the world's most potent telefax sheet, Hervé said. He flipped the documents casually onto Walton's desk and laughed. They're all yours, fifty-one percent, every bit of it voting stock. I told Mullen about it just before I left him this morning. He turned purple. What did he say? What could he say? I asked him offhandedly if he knew where all the outstanding citizen stock was, and he said yes. It was being held by a lot of small holders. Then I told him that somebody was buying out the small holders and that I was selling my 4% to him. That's when he started to change color. When I left, he was busy making phone calls, but I don't think he'll like what he's going to find out. Walton riffed through the papers. It's all here, eh? Fine work. I'll put through your voucher in half an hour or so, unless you're in a hurry. Oh, don't rush, Hervé said. He ran a finger inside his collar. A couple of security boys outside, you know. They really gave me a going-over. I'm expecting an assassin at 1100, Walton said lightly. They're on the lookout. Oh, a close friend? A relative, Walton said. Fred arrived promptly at 1100. By that time, Walton had already set the machinery in operation for the takeover of Citizen. The first step had been to call Horace Merlin and confirm the fact that Popeek now owned the telefax sheet. Merlin's fleshy face was a curious shade of rose purple. He sputtered at Walton for five minutes before admitting he was beaten. With Merlin out of the way, Walton selected a new editorial staff for the paper from a list Percy supplied. He intended to keep the reporting crew of the old regime intact. Citizen had a fantastically efficient news-gathering team and there was no point in breaking it up. It was the policy-making level Walton was interested in controlling. The 1000 edition of Citizen was the last under the old editors. They had received word from Merlin about what had happened, and by 10.30 when Walton had sent his dismissal notices over, they had already cleaned out their desks. The 1000 edition was beautiful, though. The lead headline read, are we chumps for the greenskins? And most of the issue was devoted to inflammatory, pro-war, anti-Popeak journalism. A full page of letters from the readers, actually transcribed telephone calls since few of Citizen's readers were interested in writing letters, echoed the editorial stand. One letter in particular caught Walton's attention. It was from Mrs. P.F. of New York City Environ, which probably meant Jersey or Lower Connecticut, and it was short and to the point. To the editor, hooray for you! Popeek is a damn crime, and that Walton criminal ought to be put away, and we ought to kill those greenskins up there before they kill us. Kill them before they kill us, Walton snickered. All the old hysterias, the old panic reactions, came boiling up again in times of stress. He looked at his hand. 
it was perfectly steady even though his wristwatch told him fred would be there in just a few minutes a week ago a situation like this would have had him gobbling benzolurethane as fast as he could unwrap the lozenges the ghostly presence of fitzmaum seemed to hover in the room the ends justify the means walton told himself grimly as he waited for his brother to arrive fred was dressed completely in black from his stylish neo-victorian waistcoat and the bit of ribbon at his throat to the mirror-bright leather pumps on his feet the splendor of his clothing was curiously at odds with the coarseness of his features and the stockiness of his body he walked into walton's office at the stroke of eleven hundred and sighed deeply the sigh of a man about to take permanent possession good morning roy i'm on time as always and looking radiant dear brother walton gestured appreciatively at fred's clothes it's been a long time since i've seen you in anything but your lab smock i gave notice at the lab yesterday night after i spoke to you i'm no longer an employee of popeek and i felt i should dress with the dignity suitable to my new rank he grinned buoyantly well ready to turn over the orb and scepter roy not exactly walton said but but i promised i'd resign in your favor today fred i don't think i ever used those words but i certainly implied it didn't i of course you did you told me to come here at eleven hundred and you'd arrange the transfer walton nodded exactly so he waited a long moment and then said quietly i lied fred he had chosen the words carefully for maximum impact he had not chosen wrongly for a brief instant fred's face was very pale against the blackness of his garb total disbelief flickered across his eyes and mouth Walton had considered his brother's mental picture of him, the elder brother, virtuous, devoted to hard work, kind to animals, and just a little soft in the head. Also, extremely honest. Fred hadn't expected Walton to be lying, and the calm admission stunned him. You're not planning to go through with it then? Fred asked in a dead voice. No! you realize what this means in terms of the serum don't you the moment i get out of here and transmit your refusal to my employers they'll begin wholesale manufacture and distribution of the lamar serum the publicity won't be good roy nor the result you won't get out of here walton said another shock wave rippled over fred's face you can't be serious roy my employers know where i am and they know what I'm here for. If they don't hear from me within 24 hours, they'll proceed with the serum distribution. You can't hope to... I'll risk it, Walton interrupted. If nothing else, I'll have a 24-hour extension. You don't really think I would hand Popeek over to you on a platter, Fred. Why, I didn't even know how secure my own position is here. So I'm afraid I'll have to back down on my offer. You're under arrest, Fred arrest fred sprang from his seat and circled around the desk toward walton for a moment the two brothers stared at each other faces inches apart walton put one hand on his brother's shoulder and gripping tightly forced him around to the front of the desk 
you had this all planned didn't you fred said bitterly yesterday when you talked to me you knew this was what you were going to do but you said you'd yield and i believed you i don't fool easily but i thought i had you pegged because you were my brother i knew you you wouldn't do a sneaky thing like this but i did walton said suddenly fred jumped he charged at walton blindly head down in the same motion walton signaled for keeler and his men to break in and met fred's charge he caught his brother mid-stride with a swinging punch that sent his head cracking back sharply fred's face twisted and writhed more in astonishment than pain he stepped back rubbing his chin you've changed he said this job's made you tough a year ago you would never have done this to me walton shrugged look behind you fred and this time you can trust me fred turned warily keeler and the two other gray-clad security men stood there drug him and take him away walton said have him held in custody until i notify martinez fred's eyes widened you're a dictator he said hoarsely you just move people around like chessmen roy like chessmen drug him walton repeated keeler stepped forward a tiny hypodermic spray cupped in his hand he activated it with a twitch of his thumb and touched it to fred's forearm a momentary hum droned in the office as the vibrating spray forced the drug into fred's arm he slumped like an empty sack pick him up keeler ordered take him and let's get going the story broke in the 1300 edition of citizen and from the general tone of the piece walton could see the fine hand of lee percy at work the headline was guy tries to knock off popeek head after the usual string of subheads all in the cheerful breezy barely literate citizen style came the body of the story a guy tried to bump popeek top number roy walton today security men got there in time to keep walton from getting the same finisher as dead popeek boss fitzmom got last week walton says he's all right the assassin didn't even come close he also told our man that he expects good news from the new earth bit soon we like the sound of those words popeek may be with the stream after all who knows the voice was that of citizen but the man behind the voice was thinking a little differently had the previous editors of citizen been handling the break the prevailing tone would most likely have been too bad he missed walton called percy after the edition came out nice job you did on our first citizen he said approvingly that's just what i want the same illiterate style but a slow swerving of editorial slant until it's completely pro popeek wait until you see tomorrow's paper we're just getting the hang of it and we'll have our first kaleidowhirl show at twenty hundred tonight cost a fortune to buy in but we figure that's the best hour what's the buried message as you said percy told him a pro popeek job and some pacifist stuff we've got a team of pollsters out now and they say the current's predominantly going the other way 
We'll be able to tell if the Kaleidowhirl stuff works out all right. Keep up the good work, Walton said. We'll get there yet. The alien isn't due to arrive for another day or so. McLeod gets into Nairobi tomorrow sometime. I'm going to testify before the UN tomorrow, too. I hope those UN boys are watching our pretty color patterns tonight. Percy grinned. Boy, you bet. Walton threw himself energetically into his work. It was taking shape now. There were still some loose ends, of course, but he was beginning to feel that some end of the tangle of interlocking intrigues was in sight. He checked with the public recreation director and discovered there would be a block forum on West 382nd Street at 18.30 that night. He made a note to attend and arranged to have a synthetic mask fashioned so he wouldn't have to reveal his own identity. Twenty-four hours. In that time, Fred's employers would, presumably, be readying themselves to loose Lamar's serum on the world. An extraterrestrial being would be landing on Earth. And, by then, Walton would have been called to render an account of his stewardship before the United Nations. The annunciator chimed again. Yes, Walton said. Mr. Omelia of Mount Palomar Observatory calling long distance to talk with you, sir. Put him on, Walton said puzzledly. Omelia was a red-faced individual with deep-set, compelling eyes. He introduced himself as a member of the research staff at Mount Palomar. Glad I could finally reach you, he said in a staccato burst of words. Been trying to call for an hour. Made some early morning observations on Venus a little while ago, and I thought you'd be interested. Venus? What? Cloud Blanket looks awfully funny, Mr. Walton. Blazing away like sixty. Got the whole staff down here discussing it, and the way it looks to us, it's some sort of atomic chain reaction going on in Venus's atmosphere. I think it's those terraforming men you Popeek folk have up there. I think they've blown the whole place up. The End of Chapter 16 Of Master of Life and Death By Robert Silverberg